so excited. I'm glad that you're here with us today, and uh, I have been praying. This week's message has been on my heart since October of last year. Um, I started percolating, uh, and uh, I was feeling this tension because I knew way back in June of last year that this season we were going to be talking about what did it look like to become mature in our walk with Jesus. And the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of what does real maturity look like in the life of a believer? How do you know if you're growing and becoming more like Jesus? How do you really know if you have felt stuck and you're not sure? And then I realized as I was prepping this in last October that, that this message needed to precede that. And, uh, and then I started struggling because we're walking into just a kind of a one-off message this week. And I, I've entitled it this, When Less is More. When Less is More. And talking about this idea that, that fasting helps us set the table to experience God's best for our lives. And I started feeling this pressure because I've never led a church through fasting before. That's not something I've done. You know why? Because I'm not interested in fasting very much. It's not my idea of a good time. So as the Lord began to put that into my heart and into my radar, I had to deal with some preconceived ideas I had about fasting. And it created some tension in me. And I started asking the questions, what does fasting really do? How does it work? Why should I fast? What's the expectation? And I had to realize that when I don't really know how something works or what it does, I take it for granted. And it becomes less and less important to me. As a matter of fact, this is illustrated perfectly by my first car. I, my first car was amazing. It was red, had four wheels, sunroof. It was a 1986 Chevy Sprint. Three-cylinder engine, come on now. I think me and Bobby could push it faster than it could go in fifth gear. My buddies actually used to pick it up and put it on the curb all the time because it was so we I couldn't drive it off the curb. I was like stuck because it would just, you know, they'd just, just break. But that was like their funny joke. And so my car would be on the curb all the time. But I got this car from my cousin. It had at least 240,000 miles on it. The odometer didn't even work. I think it had the original tires. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> but they were in really bad shape. It was five-speed, and I didn't know how to drive a stick, so I just thought that grinding the clutch, that's what people meant about new car smell, as that thing would just burn as it would go, right? Now, I got to tell you a little something about cars. I grew up, my dad was a car guy. Sometimes I tell stories about him. He, he liked cars, enjoyed cars, but he was also a tough guy to be around. He was a caholic, right? He was an alcoholic, a workaholic, whatever caholic, right? Whatever thing was the current thing, he was a caholic, right? But he, uh, he was in the military. He was an Air Force guy, and he was a mechanic in the Air Force. And so he loved working on cars and tinkering on cars. And I think he really wanted me to love cars too. But I would go out there to help him because he would call me out there, work on the car. And within five or 10 minutes, he's yelling at me. I said, grab the other one. And so I would just leave, so I grew up instinctively just hating everything about cars. Like I didn't want to know how cars worked. I didn't want anything to do with that. To me, I associated pop in the hood with just getting yelled at. So I get this 1986 Chevy Sprint. It's gifted to, me, gifted to me by my cousin. I'm learning how to drive a stick shift and I'm grinding it and I know to put gas in it. And that's all I know. I have this thing for a few months and I'm driving from my school to go pick up one of my buddies. And all of a sudden as I'm driving, the engine just <clears throat> seizes up. And I'm drifting. And I'm on a little hill, and I drift down the hill, and I park on the side of the road. And it's the world before cell phones. So I got to walk to someone's house to call my dad and say, the car's not working. Said, What's wrong with it? I don't know. It's not working. And he asked me a very basic question. Did you check the oil on that? 
I got to be honest with you. I had no frame of reference that oil was an important component in a car. I knew how to put gas in. I didn't grow up in Oregon. Come on now. I could put gas in my car. I had that skill, but that's all I knew. It had not even occurred to me to check the oil. And I don't want to tell you how upset my dad was that I had not even thought about checking the oil. Here's the problem. There was no oil in the car at all. It probably leaked oil, but I wouldn't know because it had never had oil in it. And the whole time that I owned it. And you know what happened? The engine seized up. It stopped to work. The pistons wouldn't go. And now I just had a hunk of metal, a giant paperweight. And I wonder... If I knew the importance of oil, someone explained to me what oil did, then I probably would have done the work, come on now, to put some oil in there, to change the oil, to make that happen so that I could keep going. But here's the problem. Sometimes when we don't know what something does or why it's important, we just keep on going blissfully through life, ignorant of the fact that the thing we're not doing is causing the engine to seize up. And so we're going to talk about fasting and prayer today. And we've been talking about this idea that sometimes on our walk with God, we feel like we're stuck, like the engine has seized up, like we were trying to go somewhere and suddenly the power's out. And I'm just going to challenge you a little bit today as we kind of walk into this tension of fasting that for some of us, it's like getting the oil changed. We know it's important. It feels like a little bit of a burden, but you'd rather pay that price than the price on the other side when the whole thing seizes up. So we got this tension because fasting doesn't sound exciting. It doesn't sound like a good time. And, and I got to be honest with you, I started trying to build my case against fasting as I felt the Lord begin to give me, hey, this is, we're going to take the church through this. And I was like, no, that doesn't sound like a good time at all. And so I started building my case. I started asking questions about fasting. I started trying to figure out even my theology, what I believe about fasting. And I started saying, you know, isn't fasting for people who just like, they're really sorry about something that they did and they're just trying to make themselves like abase themselves. And doesn't that seem unnecessary, God? Why, you know, I get it in the Old Testament, but since the cross and Jesus, or isn't fasting about trying to get your attention and, and we don't need to get your attention anymore. You live in our hearts. What's the point of that? Or isn't the fasting, wasn't that about asking for the power of God? But now we've got the Holy Spirit and access to the power of God all the time. So what in the world would I fast for? I made a pretty good case. I was like, all right, post Jesus, no reason to fast. Holy Spirit, no reason to fast. Not writing this message. No reason to write the message. I don't even need to read the Bible. I'm good. I got a whole defense lined up. And then I started asking some questions. Right, did Jesus fast? Dang it. Luke chapter four, verse one, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, at the very beginning, he's just about to go start bringing the thunder. We're done with like the begats and all that stuff. And it says, Jesus, so we know Jesus, full of what? Oh, dang it, my out with the Holy Spirit's gone too. Full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by who? The Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. 
So here's Jesus getting ready to launch into his ministry. He has unfiltered access to the Father. So it's not about access to the Father. He has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about the power of the Holy Spirit, but he knows he's about to go face temptation and he's about to launch into the ministry that God's assigned him. And for some reason, he fasts. Not only does he fast, but the Spirit directs him that that's the right choice for this moment. And suddenly, my arguments that this isn't important, that this isn't significant, that this isn't relevant in the other side of the cross, this doesn't matter because of what Jesus did or the power of the Holy Spirit, they're all out the window because Jesus, directed by the Holy Spirit, fasted. And then I started thinking about what did Jesus say about fasting? And I won't put the verses up there, but in Matthew chapter six, after he talks about praying, he says, when you pray, go, don't, you know, don't go on the street and get everybody's attention. Go into your room, do it privately. Then he says, and when you fast, don't put ashes all over yourself and wear sackcloth and draw attention to yourself. Do it privately. And I'm struggling with this language because he didn't say, if you pray, if you fast. He said, when you pray, when you fast. Uh Uh-oh. Suddenly my argument's getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Jesus did it. Jesus expected his followers to do it. He laid out a path of what it looks like. So now I better understand what in the world it is because I'm not changing my oil at the 3,000 mile mark. And yet there's this thing that Jesus said, I'm expecting this behavior and I'm modeling this behavior. And then where is this behavior in my followers? The reality is I don't know how or what to do or I just don't wanna do it. So I better figure out what fasting really is. And let me start by just explaining what fasting is not. Let me debunk some myths for you. Here's some things that fasting is not. Fasting is not just going without food. That's dieting. Or if you do it too long, that's starving. Fasting, biblical fasting, isn't just, I'm not eating any food. It's also not just something for fanatics. Fasting is not a thing that crazy people do or super spiritual people do or cause-driven people do. It's not just, you know, I'm fasting because I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm protesting. It's not that. It's not just something for fanatics. It's also not something that's just for ministers. I think that's the next one. Yeah. It's not just for me. It's not my job alone. I ain't fasting for y'all. Right? I don't want you calling Pastor Andrew on a Friday and saying, hey, can you fast this weekend? I got a big meeting on Monday. Can you not eat this weekend for me? I had an expectation that you carry that for me. That's not how it works. It's not just for ministers. Jesus didn't say when the pastor fasts, when the elder fasts, what else is it not? <laughs> it's not just for the strong. It's also for the weak. It's not just for the super Christian. It's not also for the super mature. Well, once you got all the Beatitudes memorized, Psalm 23 memorized, Psalm 1 memorized, once you can quote the Ten Commandments and you know all the disciples, once you've studied appropriately, if you've listened to all of these particular studies, if you never missed a date on church, if you're up on your time, whatever the thing is that you think makes you super Christian, it's not just for them. It's for everybody. (laughs) This one hurts because we don't want to be honest about this. Fasting doesn't manipulate God. Fasting doesn't manipulate God. Your prayer, your fasting does not manipulate God. It's not my, God doesn't want to do this, but I want him to do this, so I'll starve myself and try to make him do what I want. 
We gotta debunk that thinking. That's not healthy thinking. You, you don't have that kind of power over the sovereignty of God. It's not what fasting does. It doesn't manipulate God. Let's talk a little bit about what fasting does do. Fasting does prepare us for God to answer. Faster, fasting isn't about manipulating the hand of God. It's about preparing you for the receiving the truth of what God wants to do in your life. It's posturing yourself so you're ready to hear something from God. What else? Oh, it's worship. Woo! Worship, we just got done worshiping. Worship's when, when Donald cranks it to 11. And Jeff picks a song I like finally. Right? That's when worship happens. That's when worship happens. No. Worship is an expression of our life that God is the authority and the object of our, of our love and adoration and that we love him and want relationship with him. And any way that comes out of your life, that's worship. Fasting is worship. What else? Oh, it's giving up something good so you can have more of God. Emphasis on good. Food is not bad. Food is not the devil. Food is not your enemy. Although an abuse of anything is, thank you very much. But it's giving up something good. Isn't it cool that God made food taste good? He didn't have to make food taste good. He didn't have to give us taste buds. He could have had everything taste like, I don't know, just white rice, just neutral. Everything could have tasted that way. And there would have just been some things that made us sick and some things that made us fat, right? Like that, he could have just done that. But he didn't. He gave us taste buds. And then he made cows slow so we could catch them and kill them and cook them and enjoy them, right? How cool is God? He took care of us. It's giving up something good. Food is good. It's not. Now listen, if you think fasting is to get something bad out of your life, that's not fasting. That's repentance. If you got something bad in your life that's destructive, if you have destructive patterns in your life, if you're addicted to something that's killing you and you're like, I'm gonna fast from the thing that I'm addicted to, that's not fasting, that's repentance. The Bible says you should change your heart, you should change your direction, you should change the way you think about these things that are destructive and destroying your life. That's repentance and change. And that's, that's Romans 12 being transformed in the, by the, the, in the patterns of your mind being transformed and thinking differently about those things. That's repentance. Fasting is not that. It's giving up something good. Why? So you can have more of God. Finally, and if you don't catch this, you'll miss the whole thing. Fasting is telling your flesh it's not in charge. Just because I want something, just because I like something, just because it looks good, smells good, tastes good, feels good, doesn't mean I have to have it and I have to have it right now. And we got to start, come on now, as a people of God, as followers of God, understanding that our flesh is not in charge. Why did Jesus fast? He was going into a spiritual encounter, going to face spiritual temptation, and he had to establish his flesh was not in charge. Some of us have let our flesh be in charge so much, we'd have no idea what it's like to deny ourselves anything. And learning to deny yourself something might teach you a little discipline, so that when you're facing a temptation that you shouldn't get involved in, your flesh isn't like, hey, we do everything else. Right. It's telling your flesh it's not in charge. So here comes fasting throughout the story of the Bible. And I started, I started looking and I was like, oh my goodness. It shows up so many places. 
and I just blow over it. Time and time again, men and women fasting and praying before the Lord. Throughout the entire story, uh, Pastor Chris just talked about in the Discover Ministry Schools uh, class that we're going to go through the story of the Bible, the story of God's interaction with mankind. And all throughout the story, fasting shows up. Places you might not even realize that it shows up. So you look into God's word and you're like, so what is this deal with fasting? And let me show you some notable times that fasting shows up. It showed up with Moses. Moses fasted before receiving the Ten Commandments. I'm going to give you kind of some of the addresses. I won't read all of them. I'll read a couple things. And if you have your Bible out, you can jump to Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, so you're ahead of me. I'll land there eventually. Moses fasted before receiving the Ten Commandments. He knew he was about to get in the presence of God. He didn't want his flesh, come on now, to determine, because he was about to hear some things you might not want to hear. I am certain in that crowd there were some folks he wanted to murder. He said it. I'm tired of these stubborn people. He was an experienced murderer. Just say it. He was going to hear some things he may not wanted to hear. He said, I got to teach my flesh it's not in charge so I get in the presence of God and I can get some direction from God. He fasted. David fasted when he was mourning his child's illness. There's so many layers here, guys. I got to... I got to be careful because of time, but I, you just, you got to know this story. This story is so powerful. Second Samuel chapter 12. Second Samuel chapter 12. David's already blown it with Bathsheba. She's pregnant. He's killed Uriah. The prophet Nathan has showed up and said, this baby's not going to make it. You've, you know, you've messed up the whole thing. It's not going to work. And David has a reaction. He's got a new baby. And it's not, it's sick and he's not, it's not going to make it. And David fasts. It says David pleaded with God for the child. Listen to this. He fasted and he spent nights laying in sackcloth on the ground. This story is so powerful. He has already heard from God that this isn't going to go the way he hopes it will go. But in, in his expression of relationship with God, he fasts and he asks God for something he knows isn't going to happen. Think about that for a second. He prays and he fasts for the life of his baby, even though he knows it's not gonna make it. And there's this amazing picture of David a little bit further on in verse 22. The child doesn't make it and he gathers himself and he cleans himself up and it throws the servants off because he's weeping and, and, and fasting when the child's alive and then the child's dead and they think now he's gonna go into mourning, but he doesn't go into mourning. And when, when the child uh, passes away, he says he answers, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept and I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he won't return to me. Listen, there's... There's something in here you guys have to pick this up. It's okay to ask. Remember when I said fasting doesn't manipulate God? It doesn't force God's hand. It is okay to ask. And fasting positions us to receive whatever answer God gives. And sometimes the answer is no. And David's fasting prepared him to receive some of the hardest news of his whole life. And to recognize that God's big picture plan was still good. I'll see my kid again. I'll go to him. I'll go to him to position his heart. Some of us, we can't take bad news. Like we fall to pieces. Any bad news and we just fall to pieces. And here's David with bad news and he recognizes God's sovereign hand. 
and that in the next season there's hope if there's not season for what he wants. Oh, man. I, if you just, you should go there. I, if I, I'll be stuck. Just hear this. There's no harm in, answer, in asking. There's no harm in asking. There's no harm. Elijah fasted when he escaped Jezebel. Remember, he's emotional. He's mad. He's just dominated all the prophets of Baal. The fire of God showed up. He's doing great. And then Jezebel wants to kill him. And he's like, I give up. And he fasts and he's upset and he's frustrated. And God shows up and says, strengthen yourself and gives him provision. He fasted in frustration and aligned his heart with God again. Ezra fasted while mourning over sin. Ezra chapter 10. Ezra, in his time, the, the, the nation is all displaced. And while they've been displaced, they're doing what God told them not to do. They're, they're intermarrying, intermixing, uh, blending their culture in a way that's causing the people of God to no longer be an identifiable, clear people of God. They've embraced cultures that aren't their culture. And Ezra is crying out to them saying, God will give us the promise that he's always promised us if we'll just follow him. But we're rejecting God. And he fasted in a way to just say, man, I, 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 we've got to stop running the other direction of God. It's, it's denying yourself to begin to produce discipline in your life. And he's calling, what I love about Ezra is he's calling an entire nation. He's saying, people, we've, we've got to stop trying to merge into a culture that wants to kill us, that wants to eradicate us, that wants to take everything that's identifiable and important about the nature of God that we represent and kill that. We have to repent and change. And fasting was the catalyst for that. Seems like a relevant message, huh? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the people of God fasted for what Ezra fasted for? If we fasted and prayed that we would not just blindly accept what culture told us we should do, but believed that God still had a plan and a purpose for us and that we could do things God's, God's way and not be considered fuddy-duddies. Just saying, that's what Ezra prayed. Esther fasted for safety of the Jews. The, the, probably the most undersold incredible story of the whole Bible is Esther. The entire Jewish race, there's literally a decree that they're gonna be exterminated and their resources are gonna be disseminated to another culture and they're just gonna be gone. The people of God are, God are not gonna exist anymore. And Esther wants to get into the presence of the king, but she's not allowed to get in the presence of the king unless she's called, but she's gonna take a step of faith. And before that step of faith, she fasts and she prays to prepare herself for whatever God's gonna do next. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, he fasted to win a battle. Second Chronicles 20, some men came to Jehoshaphat. A vast army is coming against you from Edom and the other side of the sea. Verse three, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together, why? To seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They came together as a people and said, we're facing something that looks bigger than us, and we want to be prepared for whatever God's going to do. King Darius, oh, this one is so cool. 
King Darius fasted for a miracle. Daniel chapter six. We're gonna get into Daniel, but we're not gonna spend too much time talking about Darius. This is crazy. You should read this, Daniel chapter six. Look at the verse 18. The king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment and being brought to him and he could not sleep. Hold that for just a second. Let me tell you what's going on. Daniel has, has uh, refused to bow when the bells rang or whatever. And, uh, and so the, he's broken the law. There's an unjust law that says he's gotta worship in a way that he knows it's forbidden for him to worship. And they've trapped him. And now he's gotta go to the line den. And Darius is a pre-believer. He's not a follower of Jesus until Daniel gets out of the lion's den. And then he says, Daniel's God is the God. And he decrees that everyone has to worship Daniel's God. He's not even a believer yet. He's just like God sensitive. And he sees that something's happening to the people of God. And so he fasts. And I love this, right? Because oftentimes we talk about fasting is food, but you can kind of you know, uh, take other things and remove those things that are distracting. And this is what he does. He goes, I'm not gonna engage in any entertainment while this is going on. And some of us, the idea of fasting entertainment is way harder than the idea of fasting food. You're like, I can go without that bowl of cereal, but I gotta check my Insta photos right now. I gotta know how many comments and likes and, and I gotta forward that thing, that email that I got and you know, if 10 people don't respond, then you know, the, the, the world's gonna implode. I don't know. But here's Darius. And he says he took no food and no entertainment. He fasted. He's a pre-believer, that's amazing. Daniel fasted in order to hear from God. Daniel chapter one and Daniel chapter 10. We're gonna come back to that in just a minute. Jesus fasted before being tempted by Satan. We just read that in Luke. And I gotta be honest with you. I really struggle. I wanted to preach this passage like I really did. And I will someday and it's really good. But you gotta understand a picture of what's happening in this moment. Jesus is getting prepared to go out and, and literally change the world and, and, and change hearts and represent the father. And he's fasting for strength because he's gonna face the enemy's deepest attacks. He's gonna get the enemy's A game. This is absolutely everything the enemy has to try to knock Jesus off. You wanna know everything the enemy has? You wanna know his go-to move? It's in, uh, it's in First John. I'm not gonna put it up there, but I'll read it to you. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's everything in the enemy's tool bag. You wanna know if you're battling the enemy? Is the temptation you're facing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? Because those are the weapons he uses. That's how he does it. This is too good, I gotta give it to you. This is right. Think about, think about the temptation, if you know the, the temptations that Jesus faces, right? The, the, the temptation, he takes him up, uh, and he's been fasting, and he's hungry. And he's like, hey, you're God. Tell these rocks to become bread. Feed your flesh. Right? I know the spirits told you to deny your flesh, but you have permission, authority. You're strong enough. You can just make food and indulge your flesh. That's his move. Right? He says, look out here. All of these kingdoms and everything you see, I'll give to you. Lust of the eyes. Right? You can have anything you see. Anything you see is yours. Anything you want, you can have. I'll give it to you. Right? Lust of the eyes. Oh, you want to know about pride? Hey, just throw yourself off this mountain. You're bros with the angels. They come at your command. They're, you have authority over them. They won't let you hit the ground. Demonstrate your power and authority that way. Pride of life. 
That's his move every time. If you want to understand the temptation that you're facing, you can track it to these three things. You think I'm making it up? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. How about Eve? Look how good this fruit, this apple is. Flesh. Right? Oh, you'll know everything God knows. Pride. Did he really say you can't have this? Eyes. Just telling you, it's his move. It's what he does. All throughout the scripture, it's his story. You want to know if the temptation you're facing is from the enemy? That's how it works. Um, all right, I preached a mini message right there. I got to come back. Jesus fasted, why? So he could tell his flesh it's not in charge when he's facing the enemy's attacks. Paul fasted after his conversion, Acts chapter nine. Paul gets knocked off his donkey. He's cruising along. Yeehaw. Whack. Knocked down, can't see. He's blind. Saul, Saul, why are you? And then this whole conversion moment, sees Jesus, but he can't see anything else. And it says for three days he wouldn't take any food. His entire paradigm of how God works and who God is was being rocked by the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he recognized, I can't even eat anything right now because I gotta stay in a spiritually connected place to God. And this isn't about my flesh. I can't see anything, but I need to understand. And it transforms his heart, his mind, everything. He launches his whole ministry by denying his flesh right off the bat. And God recalibrates him, refreshes him, redesigns him. The church elders in Antioch fasted before sending out missionaries. They wanted to hear from God who to send. Acts chapter 13, verse one. They come together and they pray and they fast and they know that God's called them to go out into new places and reach new people and they don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit shows up and says, take Saul and Barnabas and I got a mission for them and you send them out. And here's what's amazing. The church came together and the church fasted and the church heard from God together. Then the church had a mission and it was clear and the church got behind it and the church sent them out and they went with the covering and protection of their family because the church was willing to come together and fast and hear from God. Power, an amazing story throughout the scriptures, fasting and prayer to position themselves to hear from God and to receive what God had all throughout the scriptures. All right, I gotta be careful. I'm gonna run out of time here, but I wanna take you to Daniel. I wanna focus on Daniel for just a moment. They came together, they got in alignment and they got into agreement. Daniel, if you go to the book of Daniel chapter one, you gotta see what's happening in this story here because Daniel fasts in a way that's a little bit unique and it's pretty amazing. The book of Daniel, Daniel comes uh, uh, from a, 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 an interesting historical period. Um, it's about 605 BC. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon and they have conquered this divided kingdom of the Northern and Southern kingdom of Judah and Israel. And they are all fighting and contentious. And God's like, that's it. You guys haven't uh, honored me with the way you've treated the land. You haven't let the land rest. You know, I gave you directions. You can farm for this long and then you had to rest and you didn't, you're just, you're so in disobedience. I'm going to give you over to what you want, which is not being under my protection and covering. So in comes Babylon and wipes them out. And Babylon has a strategy. Their strategy is they want the upper class. They want the ruling class, the leaders, the princes of all of Israel. They don't want them dead. They want them compromised. 
So instead of turning Daniel and his buddies into slaves and servants, they bring them into the king's house and they try to reprogram them. And they want them to embrace a culture that hates their culture. They want them to say, hey, I know you've been doing it that way, but we've got a way to do it that's so much more progressive and advanced and welcoming, and you should come check out our culture. And they bring these groups of young, and here's what they know. They know if they can get a young generation to believe the lie that God's way is outdated, irrelevant, and doesn't matter, and embrace a culture that rejects all of that, they know if they can get that generation to believe that, they can cut the flow of the spirit of God being poured out into people. That's what they're trying to do. That move is a good move. We're fighting that move today. And so they bring Daniel and his buddies and they don't enslave them. Instead, they give them everything they could imagine. Sounds like slavery. And they order them to come and sit at the king's table. Can you imagine, I don't know, let's say um, Canada invaded us. And instead of enslaving, they took all of our politicians and upper middle class and says, now you get to sit at the table with the king of Canada, whoever that is. And they just get to live like kings. They say, see, we don't hate you. We love you. We're just trying to help you out. We're trying to hook you up. We're trying to break you free from this oppressive system that you've been in and give you something where you could do whatever you like. You just got to kiss the ring. And that's the situation that Daniel finds himself in. So Daniel chapter one, I'll, I'll pick up in verse eight. Him and his buddies have been into, entering into the king's service and they have to eat at the king's table things that he knows he shouldn't eat that also represent endorsing the king's culture and the king's way. And it says in chapter eight, or chapter one, verse eight, that Daniel resolved not to devile, defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Verse nine, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. He's like, I get what you're asking, but if I do that, you're asking me to kill myself because the king will kill me. So I can't hook you up this way. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And check this out, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them the vegetables instead. And now listen to what happened because of this decision. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. They made a decision to abstain from something that wasn't evil, but that was dominating to their flesh. And they made a decision to abstain from something that represented immersing into a culture that they weren't going to immerse into. And God, because of that, provided them with insight and, and, uh, and the presence of him. And Daniel could tell what dreams and visions meant. Now, this is a thing, and I, I just, we got to be honest about this, okay? God shows up all throughout the scripture speaking through dreams. He just does. It's just a thing. It's a move. Now, not every dream is a God dream. 
So here's the tension that we walk into because most of my dreams are because I ate pizza after 10 o'clock at night, right? Most of my dreams are connected to my behavior because if I was fasting, I would not have had that dream. If I was in prayer, I wouldn't have had that dream. But because I ate that cheesecake, I had that dream. That's most of my dreams, not all my dreams. Because God clearly throughout the scripture speaks and moves in our dreams. And I'm not a crazy dream guy. I'm just a biblical dream guy. And I recognize that God does speak through visions and through dreams. And if you're worried that the vision or the dream or the picture that you got is from God or not, you have an amazingly easy way to tell. You just go to the scripture and the word of God. And if it falls in line with the character and the nature of God, then it's probably from God. And if it's outside the character and nature of God, then you just smile and go, I can't be eating cheesecake after 10 anymore. I'm going to have some crazy dreams. But Daniel, because he chose to not defile himself, because he chose to not eat those things that would have even spurned that, God said it gave him a picture of revelation so that he could get on page and hear from God. How many of you would love to be able to hear from God? That's what he does. He's not being defiled. He's not just assuming that culture is right. He's okay with standing up and saying that's not the way God does it. And that's what the fast represented for him. It represented there's a way to do it that God does it. He faced the same tension because of that. People hated him. They rejected him. They manipulated culture to get him thrown in the lion's den. And we talked about that just a moment ago. But ultimately, God elevated him to a position of authority and leadership. Why? Because he had intentionally postured himself to hear from God. And because of that, he was incredibly useful as a voice of someone who could understand what God was trying to say. So he put himself in that position. Now, when they were captured by the Babylonians, God had already prophetically let them know they were gonna be gone for 70 years. Now, he was a teenager when he got there. We don't know exactly how old, but we assume somewhere between 13 and 19 since he's a teenager. And so it's 70 years have gone by between what I just told you and Daniel chapter 10. So I want you to flip over to Daniel chapter 10. 70 years have gone by because now the people of God have begun going back, right? Ezra's happened, all this stuff's happened. The people of God are beginning to go back out of Babylon to Israel. But Daniel, for whatever reason, we don't know why, he doesn't go. Maybe he's old and doesn't want to leave. Maybe his position um, within the government gives him special uh, uh, favor and authority so he can protect the people of God. Maybe he's holding that position as a voice. We're not exactly sure why. We just know that in Daniel chapter 10, the people of God have already begun to leave, but Daniel hasn't left. He's still there with the Babylonians. Now in Daniel chapter nine, listen, one of these days we'll walk through Daniel. Daniel has so many cool, there's like, at least six chapters of just amazing, cool history and stories of the power and authority of God. Then there's like prophecy that's all over the place, but it's some of the coolest prophecy in all of scripture. And if you spend some time in there, you'll just go, how in the world did God know? And, and, and how did Daniel figure this out and put this? And it was just, it's incredible. Um, the, the stuff about nations and things that happen, it's just, it's amazing. But in Daniel chapter nine, Daniel gets a vision from God, and he's all excited because the people of God are going back. And he's like, God, we're going back. And he gets a vision, and the vision is, yeah, you're going back, but they're gonna mess up again. And they're gonna get displaced again. And he's upset because he hears from God that his people aren't gonna just go back and everything's gonna be better now, that eventually they're gonna repeat the same patterns and get displaced again. And so in Daniel chapter 10, He's concerned about this vision that he's had, and he's trying to figure out how to hear from God what's really going on. 
So in Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, and this is going to take us to our landing zone, our, our text for the day. At that time, I, Daniel, met, mourned for three weeks. Now, this is important. He's not just fasting. He's also in mourning. He's sad because he's heard that God's going to, uh, the people are going to reject God and eventually suffer the consequences of it all over again. He's like, I thought we were done with that. He's in mourning. So, verse 3, he ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched his lips, and he used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Now, the no lotions is about the mourning. He's in mourning, right? Remember, Jesus said, when you fast, don't let anyone know. So when we walk into our fast, I want you to wear your deodorant, right? Put your lotion on, right? Shave in the morning. Put yourself together. In first service, I said, go ahead and shave your legs, but I'm still not sure if it's appropriate for me to say that. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm in trouble. I haven't gotten any emails yet, so I'm okay so far. Put yourself together, right? But he puts no lotions on because he's in mourning. And Jesus said, that's not how you do this. But, but he, he understands that he wants to hear something. And then, and then look at what happens. He ate no choice. So how long did he do it? For three weeks. It says, on the 24th day of the first month, Verse four, as I was standing in the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. So he sees an angel. His body was like chrysolite. His face was like lightning. His eyes were flaming torches, his arms and his legs, like the gleam of burnished brawn. And his voice sounded like that of a multitude, right? And so this is like a Christophany. It's a picture of Christ, but it's an angel, but it's a picture of heaven. It, it looks very similar to what John sees in the book of Revelation. And, uh, and Daniel is seeing a picture of heaven and he's been fasting for three weeks. And at the end of three weeks, a messenger of God shows up. Now it's important to note the date here. It's the 24th. It's the 24th and it's the, uh, it's the first month or whatever. And why is this important? Because he fast, check this out. Daniel fasted through Passover and through the Feast of the Tabernacles. He didn't do some of the culturally mandated celebratory things because he was fasting. This was huge to me because I gotta be honest with you. As I looked at the calendar, and said, when can we fast? I was like, August. August is the only time we, there's a million things going on. I can't fast then because of this. What if I fast then because of this? And Daniel just said, I need a revelation from the Lord. It's time to fast now. So he starts to fast. He fasts through Passover. He fasts through the Feast of the Tabernacles. These are important celebratory feasts. They're like one week feasts each. This isn't like I missed Thanksgiving. This is I missed seven days of Thanksgiving that we do once a year. That's a burn, folks, just so you know. And he hears a voice. Then it says, oh, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. I'm in verse seven. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me didn't see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and they hid themselves. Now, when I read this, I just broke because I want you to catch something. I never saw this before. Daniel's with a bunch of other people. His support team is there. And the vision of God shows up. The message of God shows up with the word of God. But he's the only one that's positioned himself to receive it. Why? Because he was fasting and praying. Everyone else could tell something was happening, could tell change was happening, but instead of being inspired and encouraged and excited and having anticipation, they were filled with terror because they hadn't positioned themselves. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. I've been in church world for a long time. And when God brings fresh vision, 
when God brings a picture of the future, when God brings a picture of what's going on, when people have been fasting, when people have been praying, when people are in agreement, they get excited for the thing God's going to do. When they are not positioning themselves to hear from God, any change looks like terror. And they run. And they flee and they get angry and they get upset and, and they call it everything else, but it's terror at the change of the vision of God. So Daniel's crew can't make the cut because they didn't put the work in. Come on now. They didn't position themselves to hear from God. So the thing that God was saying seemed like bad news instead of good news. And here we are saying we want to hear from God. We want a fresh vision from God. We want direction from God. We want for the life of our church, what we're gonna do next, how we're go- what banner we're gonna put up to, to say, this is what God's saying in this season, in this place, at this time, and how we're gonna make a difference. And I'm just telling you guys that if you're not willing to position yourself through prayer and through fasting to hear the voice of God, when the voice of God shows up, you're gonna have this reaction. So just be prepared. You're gonna say, I'm out. That seems like too much change, too much stress, too much pain, too scary. I'm just telling you. Verse eight, so he was left alone, gazing at this great vision. Says he had no strength left and his face turned deathly pale and he was helpless. He's like, I got nothing. It's It's the vision and the direction of God. Then he heard him speaking. And as I listened to him, I love this. I fell into a deep sleep, my face on the ground. I just, somewhere in here is a joke about I shouldn't be offended when you fall asleep when I'm preaching because Daniel's been waiting 21 days for a word from the Lord and the word of the Lord shows up and he falls out. It's hilarious. Where am I at? (laughs) Verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling, trembling on my hands and knees. So he falls out and the angel's like, bro, He pops up and now he's on all fours and he's just in a position of, I'm not worthy. I got nothing. I'm here. I don't know what you're doing, God. I'm just here. I'm on my hands and I'm on my knees and I wanna hear. I wanna be positioned. I've been fasting. I've been praying. I need the vision. I need you to explain to me what's happening. I can't even stay awake. I'm so exhausted from pressing in, but whatever you got for me, I'm in the position that I need to be to receive it. And the angel's like, nah, bro, you're going to partner with me. Get up. Get up. He says, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, carefully consider the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've been sent to you. And when he said this, I stood up and trembled. Verse 12, he says, don't be afraid. This is so good. Oh, this is so good. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourselves before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. Whoo. I don't know if you caught that. He'd been fasting for 21 days. And the angel says, hey, day one, moment one, when you made a decision to position yourself, posture yourself, deny your flesh and get into a place to appeal to God, day one, the answer was on the way. Here's the thing you got to catch, guys. Delay is not the same thing as denial. 
It's not the same thing as denial. And we get frustrated when things don't happen right away. We start praying and we're like, God, I've been asking you to put the right person in my life all day. And my email box is empty. Nobody's swiping my direction. Delay is not the same thing as denial. Sometimes there's some timing involved. And you may just need to hear today that your miracle, your message, the word of God is still on the way. So don't give up. Don't wear out. The moment that you said something, the answer was on the way. Remember, we talked about the answer, not always yes, but the answer was on the way. Now this gets, like, there's so many layers here. Verse 13, but the prince of Persia, the kingdom of Persia resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. This is a messenger angel, and he went to war with another angel that showed up. A demonic angel said, I want to resist the blessing and the provision that you have for God. And the guy was like, homie, don't play that. I must send a warrior angel down to deal with this mess for you so you can get the message to my man who's on his knees, position himself in prayer and fasting. And God, this is what I want you to catch. Sometimes we don't realize that part of the delay is there is a spiritual battle that we are walking through right now. And there is a timing associated with that. And there is a warfare going on. And we don't fight battles in flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, Paul teaches us that. We fight against spirits and principalities. And when you fast and when you pray you are engaging in warfare and your help and your message and your vision is on the way so don't quit don't tap out it's on the way if I had time I would dive into just someday when we're in Daniel I'll talk about the nuances of how just crazy it is that entire nations had demonic angels that were just taking on the culture and you see that in our world still today the demonic influences of cultures of nations of people and then there's heavenly influences of cultures and nations of people and there's spiritual battles that are happening there's things happening in the flesh but there's spiritual battles that are happening and how cool is it that that the moment he prayed it started something it started a war in the heavenlies for God's message to get to God's man so that the vision could be there. He says, Michael showed up and kicked butt. Sorry, that's my paraphrase. Now, verse 14, I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns things that are to come. Sometimes I think we're just praying and we think we need an answer this moment. And since we think we need an answer this moment, we tap out. And there is a vision and there is an answer on the way. And it concerns the things to come. And I'm just wondering if as a church, as a people of God, we're willing to position ourselves so we can receive the thing God's speaking. So that we can come on, align with the plan of God. And then we can see the power of God on display in our lives, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. So that's the invitation. That's the question. That's the tension. That's the, what your pastor's standing in front of you pleading for. Will you go on this journey to position yourself to partner with the plan of God in this place? Will you do it? Because there's going to be warfare. Spiritual warfare was happening while he fasted. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be an argument. Then there's going to be some, some people who go, yeah, I'm in. And there's going to be some people who say, nah, I don't like it. I'm out. Who aren't willing to come on, position themselves. 
It's going to be part of it. Some of us are going to think, well, you're just telling me to eat less or not eat at all. And I got to tell you, there's no such thing as fasting without prayer. They go hand in hand. Again, if you're just not eating or if you're just changing your diet around to kind of partner with us and you're not talking to God and position yourself to hear from God, you're not fasting. It doesn't exist outside of a relationship of prayer. So let me ask you this. What should you be fasting and praying for? What is it? In this next season of your life, what do you need to fast and pray for? What's the breakthrough that you need to see? What's the question that you need answered from God? What's the, what's the place where the engine has seized up? You were on a journey with God and now you're stuck. What's the next season here looks like? What's God's heart for this church, for this body? What's God's heart for this city, for this neighborhood? What's God's heart for your role and my role and our role and how we can partner to accomplish it? What's his heart? Because if we get on the same page on that, if we dial in to that, there is nothing that could resist us. There's nothing that could resist him. I don't know about you, but my pastor's heart is full because I'm believing for the people who don't know Jesus, who don't know his love and don't know his mercy and don't know his plan that are gonna know him because we got aligned with his plan. And we stepped out in faith and it took guts and it took courage. The end of this story is great. Uh, the angel, he's, he's on the ground and Daniel's like, I can't talk and I can't lift up. I'm weak and I don't have any things. And the angel, very similar to what it, uh, you see in Isaiah when he goes before the, uh, the, the throne room of God, touches his mouth and empowers his mouth to work again and then touches his body and gives him strength to accomplish it. He doesn't eat food again to solve it. The angel just says, let me give you power that comes from somewhere else than your flesh so you can accomplish the vision come on now, that God has for you. And that's what happens at the end of that story. So that's the invitation. Would you stand with me? That's the question. That's the tension. I heard one pastor actually say that fasting is just a sign to God that you're serious about not staying in your current condition. Maybe that's all it is for, for right now. Is I just don't want to be in my current condition. This isn't enough. I've stopped expecting great things from God. I want to expect those great things again. And maybe fasting just recalibrates us to believe that the king of the universe has a plan and a mission for our lives that's bigger than anything we could ever hope for or imagine. So in this next season, we're going to talk about how do we know that we're growing and what are the steps that we take? We're gonna launch into Rooted and you're gonna hear your pastor plead with you to get involved and get connected. And then you're gonna say, well, I don't have time and I'm gonna plead with you again. And then you're gonna say, well, here's my reason why I can't do it and I'm gonna plead with you again. Eventually, you're either gonna be irritated and avoid me or you're just gonna give in and connect with us and do life with us as we grow and take that journey and step into relationships so we can be calibrated to hear his voice. And we're gonna launch into this fast. February 5th is the day. I had some mercy on you. I stayed away from the Super Bowl. I don't know who has the best Super Bowl plans around here, but I'll take an invite. Come on, guys. We'll start Monday, the 5th, and we'll go 21 days. Allie will put online. We have a whole thing where you can be in the word. Because listen, I didn't even get, 
the, the, the answer to the temptation wasn't the fast. The answer to the temptation for Jesus was the word of God. And he was rooted in the word of God. The fast just positioned him to hear and be able to recall the word of God so he could use the word of God. Come on now. So you got to get the word of God in you or else what are we doing here? So I'm going to give you the word. If you're fasting from media, we'll give you paper copies. And don't worry, I have mercy on you. We'll figure it out. But I just want to invite you to join us. Come on the journey. Be part of what God's doing. Be part of it. Don't, don't position yourself so that you're close by, but when it shows up, it's terrifying. So this morning, God, I just, I'm grateful. I appreciate you. I'm so humbled by my opportunity to just even try to break apart some of the nuances of the power of your word that you want to actually unseize the engine for so many of us individually, but then for us as a church, you want to unseize the engine so we can begin to accomplish what you've called us to do in this time, in this season, in this place. And we don't have all of the answers, but they're on the way. So we're going to press in. We're going to do the battle. We're going to fight the fight. We're going to, we're going to understand that, that Though that we may face resistance, the answer is on the way. We're going to trust you. And we're going to have courage. And, and we're going to understand like David did that the answers aren't always yes. But the right answer is we position in ourselves to receive whatever it is that you are saying because there's hope for the next season no matter what. So we trust you. So that's our heart. That's our desire. We want to know you more. We want to push out of just a, a position that we're in right now into the next season and believing, God, that you are faithful. You won't take us where your strength and your grace and your word won't sustain us. So we're feeling in a sense of just courageous optimism and godly optimism that nothing is impossible for us if we believe. So we're going to move forward and we're going to trust you and we love you and we say thanks. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. amen. Church, I'm with you. Let's do this. I love you. God bless you. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand. Have an amazing week in the Lord and uh, come back next week. We'll be ready to break it open.